Thanks for listening to NYC. Feel free to catch us on any of your favorite platforms uh, to listen to podcasts. We're on Apple, Spotify, iHeart, Anchor, and uh, many others. So uh, please check us out. And uh, we appreciate you taking some time to listen to us today. One of our favorite subjects and favorite sports, tennis. And who better to talk about tennis than uh, Dory Bennett, our favorite uh, teacher and uh, tennis coach. Dory, a welcome, and it has been a surprising U.S. Open so far. It has, Bill. Thank you. Good, good to talk with you again. And and NYSEA has the power of all sports, all issues, all topics, all everything. So, always excited to be here and on the show. Well, let's get right to it. The biggest controversy right now that uh, has happened, and you know, it's it's a shame because it is a story, and we're going to talk about it. But there have been so many other good stories uh, at the U.S. Open, and we'll get into them. But what has happened on Sunday at the U.S. Open with uh, Novak Djokovic as he was playing his match against Pablo Carreno Busta, and um, you know, I'll let you tell the story. Uh, what happened in that match? Uh, that surprised uh, all of us, and I guess for some of us, maybe not so surprising. Well, uh, great, great information that you just uh, shared with us, Will. Novak Djokovic really just displayed some frustration in a way that tennis players are not supposed to display frustration. And he had just dropped his serve to fall behind 6-5 in the opening set of the match. As soon as he finished that ma- that game, he lashed the ball. He hit a ball backwards. And the first one he hit back went to the ball boy that was back there. And the second one absolutely hit a judge, the line judge, right in the throat. And she fell to the ground unable having difficulty breathing. Absolutely unconscionable behavior by Djokovic. His response showed that he had clearly no intent. However, players, that is not how players should behave or should ever behave on the court. You can have frustration, but you cannot, you absolutely cannot impose physical abuse which means anything physically said or addressed to an official, an opponent, a spectator, or person within the precincts of the tournament site. In these circumstances, it says that it was flagrant and particularly injurious to the success of the tournament, and this aggravated behavior received penalties of money. There was a $10,000 fine. Losing all the USTA points for ranking and all prize money. Players get a certain amount of prize money based on how far they get in the, in the USTA tournaments and especially in the Grand Slams. He lost $250,000 yesterday. So losing $250,000, lost um, his ranking uh, from the tournament. And, um, and just to piggyback on what you, uh, what you just talked about, um, after 10 minutes of this incident, they came together and make, made a decision that he had uh, been uh, defaulted from the 2020 U.S. Open. Uh, The tournament referee said he had no other option but to disqualify 
uh, Jokovic based on the fact that the ball was hit angrily, recklessly, that it went straight at the line umpire's throat. Even yeah. though he didn't believe that it was meant to intend harm, he also said that there are two factors. One is the action and the result. And the action, while there was no intent, the result of hitting a line umpire and clearly being hurt is a central factor in decision-making uh, process um, with this incident. Right. So, so much, uh, with, with a lot on the line, um, obviously, yeah. you, know, you got the U.S. Open, no, no, no uh, Nadal, no Federer, and this was a great opportunity for him to capture his 18th um, Grand Slam title and move him one away from Nadal, which is at 19, and two away from Federer, which he's at 20. So, you know, these three great right. tennis athletes, uh, competitors have been going at it for almost two decades now, are really kind of right. competing against one another. And that opportunity kind of came and went. It did. It came and went. And and the officials got it absolutely correct. The, the rule, as you said, the rule does state recklessly, angrily, d- uh, dangerously, and flagrant inside the court of play to damage anybody. And it, in all honesty, Djokovic, he, there's another, there are always better ways. But if he, even if he had not hit the line judge, he should have received at least a warning for his behavior. And then if he had received, if the match had gone on and he had received a second warning, then he would have received the penalty point, which means that his opponent would have gotten the point before even earning another point. So there are these pieces that are built into the game of tennis and being a good sportsman, having good sportsmanship on the court. It's just not that they're always imposed all the time. So again, Djokovic had a great, great opportunity to, he's the favorite by a long shot. He's the number one ranked uh, player in the world at that tournament. Yep. Exactly. And it would have been the first time, it's the first time now in 16 years, 16, that Nadal, Djokovic and Federer will not be featured in the final eight of a Grand Slam. Which, which is it's absolutely amazing. That That's absolutely amazing to, to have a grip, Huge. these three men having the grip on their sport uh, for so long. Right. So anyway, right. so after the match, uh, he was supposed to, like all of them, they, they're supposed to have a post, uh, post-game post conference, right? They're supposed to sit down right. and, you know, talk about what happened. And he decided to bolt. He decided to leave, did not stick yep. around, got in his car, left immediately did not stick around so i'm pretty sure there's going to be fines with that and then later on he released a statement on instagram i'm just going to read it to you real quick this whole situation has left me really sad and empty i checked on the lines person and the tournament told me that thank god she is feeling okay i'm extremely sorry to have caused her such stress so unintended so wrong i'm not disclosing her name to respect her privacy which was released anyway after the fact as for the disqualification, I need to go back within and work on my disappointment and turn this all into a lesson for my growth and evaluation as a player and human being. I apologize to the U.S. Open Tournament, everyone associated for my behavior. I'm very grateful to my team and family for being my rock support and my fans for always being there with me. Thank you, and I am so sorry, uh, end quote. Right. Okay. 
and again, completely unintentional. Uh, the apology should have been at a press conference in person. Yes. And on those, along those lines, John McEnroe's response to the incident and Djokovic not can't having a press conference just real quick before you start that just just to just to let fans know and obviously any any tennis fans will already know who john macro is but we're talking about a player that is notoriously known for his how should we say excited behavior when he played (laughs) tennis let's call it bad boy bad boy behavior bad boy behavior behavior. i was trying to be nice okay I know, but let's call it. And, yes. and he owned that too. Yes. Because here's here's what he said in his statement and response. Yes. And he wasn't watching this. He wasn't watching the match. He was out driving around New York, uh, going to some, you know, just being outside the bubble and then was coming in later to do a broadcast. So then he said his phone just started blowing up. John, what do you think about this? Can we get a comment from you? And he didn't know what had happened, what had occurred. So, here was his response live once he was back at the U.S. Open. Djokovic needs to find a way to make it right. He very well may be, may be seen as the bad guy for the rest of his career. And I know what that's about. I was, that, that, that's a reputation I had to live with as well based on my behavior on the court. It's a stain he can't erase. Djokovic should have gone to the press conference, man up, and take responsibility. Then McEnroe says, and had another perspective on this. He said, well, he's the number one player in the world. It doesn't look like it was intentional at all. There should be a way to give him a break. Higher ranked players should get a break in order to keep people interested in the tournament. Well, that got a few people fired up. I would think. Go ahead. Share, share your opinion on that before I jump in. Chris, oh, oh, well, first of all, John McEnroe, notorious, and he can completely understand about the bad boy behavior on a court. That's number one. Number two, giving players, higher ranked players, really a break on their behavior and on penalties is, is absolutely happening all the time. And so he was trying to make a case for if you're a higher ranked player, you really do get special treatment and not make a case for it, but to support it. And it's, it's kind of one of those unwritten rules of tennis. It's been quite in the, it's been quite controversial, much more controversial lately when there have been behaviors that have been excused by men players and not excused when a female player exerts the same behavior on the court. Not that any of it's okay, but I'm just saying that's been that's been a huge conversation as well. So now Chrissy Everett says Novak's on court action that led to the line judge getting hit in the throat by a ball that he hit after losing his serve is just not okay at any point to ever do that on the court. The USTA officials got it exactly right. I couldn't agree more with that statement. Um, for anyone right. that saw the video, this wasn't a ball that he hit back, bounced on the floor, and just took a weird bounce and hit hit this uh, judge in the throat. This was a line shot that went directly. So even if he didn't hit her, 
there was yeah. a bad intention. Uh, and that's not yeah. to say that the intentions were to hit to anybody, but that, that ball would have bounced off the wall and, and, and rolled somewhere else regardless. He was very frustrated. started with this, this uh, I believe it was a, a drop shot uh, point. That he was frustrated with that regardless. You know, he, he's a very emotional guy. Anybody that's watched him play knows that he plays with a lot of motion. He's into it. Uh, he has a history of um, some of this frustration uh, that has happened with him. And uh, we, we could go back to 2016 where um, he was pretty much chided for bouncing his racket in frustration. Uh, and when he did mm-hmm. that, he narrowly missed a line judge at a Roland Garros. And then a few months later in the same year at the ATP World Tour Finals in London, he had a ball into the crowd. Nobody was hurt either time. That is also a no-no. They do not want you firing tennis ball tennis balls into the crowd um, out of frustration because if you've ever watched any of these matches... When these guys hit the ball, they go pretty fast, and someone can get hurt. They're over hundreds. Yeah, it's always it's generally upwards of a hundred miles an hour. Yeah, that's and on, that and that's that's on, being on the low end. I mean, we've seen them hit 120, yeah. 130. I mean, Serena today, right. you know, was at one nineteen, one twenty herself. So just at the speeds, right. but regardless, whatever the speed is, this is a, a behavior yeah. of frustration that has been. Um, with him and it's going to be really interesting because since he's shown this behavior in the past i wonder how he's going to be disciplined uh going forward and uh before we spoke and i'm just going to bring it up uh before we started doing the podcast we talked about that the rolling garros is coming up in two weeks so i want to ask you what do you think could be the outcome of punishment or non-punishment leading into uh this uh huge tournament uh coming up in two weeks well, he already has the $10,000 fine, has lost all the points he would have earned. Uh, as far as you get into a tournament, you earn points. And so he would have lost all those points. I don't know how many points that, that, that he lost, but it will be substantial. He also lost the $250,000 just for getting to the round of 16. He should lose his number one world ranking due to losing the points. That should happen. Okay. He should also, that also means that his, his seeding going into Roland Garros should change as well. And Nadal will be in that tournament and Nadal probably will go in as the number one and it may just be the number one seed. But that is always based on number of points that the that the tennis player has. I don't know that they can manipulate it that well uh, in order to change it to make sure that that Djokovic doesn't get that number one seed. Uh, so let me ask it Dory, what, what would yeah. you do? Let, let's change because right now, until they what would I do? Uh, until they come out with their statement and really we find out what what they're going to do. Uh, Dory, uh, obviously you're a big fan. You watch a lot of tennis. You coach it. Um, You know this player. We've been seeing these guys play forever now. Um, You know the history. If you were in charge of discipline um, for him and also how that would affect the next tournament, what would be your outcome? Well, I would suspend him. If it were mine, I I would... I would suspend him 
from the next tournament that that he would be entered in. And it was unclear as to whether he would enter the the clay court tournament that's the lead up to Roland Garros. So if he's and he's already entered in it, but it would depend on his health status as to whether or not he would play in that tournament. The one piece that this does, and then I would make him take all the money that he was fined and pay that tournament. Because what happens when a when a high ranking player doesn't attend a tournament, it impacts the money that that tournament can have. Now, no fans in any of these tournaments, and so it's not going to impact attendance at all. Yeah, the gate. But I at the gate, okay, it wanted to attack uh, impact that part at all. But I would suspend him from the next tournament that he was going to be entered in, regardless of what it was. I would absolutely. Absolutely. And then I would say that he, in order to get into the next tournament, he needs to enter anger management. That, see, that is really Therapy. interesting. That, and, and that is really, really interesting. And, and I'm not sure if they could impose that, but that would be, that would be an interesting take for them to say, okay, you've got a track record now. Um, yep. We, we need you to uh, do better, be better. Um, so I, I would I would be interested to see if they if they go uh, <laughs> go that route, um, but as a tennis player and the opportunity that seems like he um, he lost that was there. Um, not saying that he would have yeah. won because we know how difficult it is to play every other day, right. and the talent is um, you know there, there's great talent on the tour, but not having yeah. Federer, you know Federer took the opportunity this year to have his second knee operation, and he withdrew from the season. Um, and Nadal right. stayed away, um, you know, because of the virus and he wanted to focus on the French open. He didn't want to travel to the States, but this was a great opportunity for him as a player to kind of catch, uh, these two, even though if you look at rankings, uh, you probably would put, um, Jokovic ahead of Nadal in that one, two, three order. I personally wouldn't, but you know, that's a whole I debate for another time. Yeah. 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 So right now the... There, there are three men that definitely now have become the favorite okay. in in the tournament with Djokovic out. Okay, there are three in in no particular order. Okay, last year's finalist who lost to Nadal in a five set epic 2019 U.S. Open final, Daniil Medvedev, 24 year old Russian. Yes, and tremendous player, and he's been strong. He's been really strong in in the tournament this year. Has not has uh, ha, has not had a five setter yet, so he's a strong possibility. The 23 year old German Alexander Zverev, strong performance so far this year, and his Grand Slam, his best Grand Slam performance was a 2020 Australian Open semifinals. So we're talking about guys that are getting into the Grand Slam. Finals and semifinals. A third option people are really looking at strongly and, and definitely came in as a strong contender, Austrian Dominic Team. Yeah. Three-time Grand Slam finalist. He has yet to win a Grand Slam, but this could be his year. And he did beat Roger Federer a year ago at Indian Wells. So strong performers, all three of those. There's one U.S. male Man available uh, still in the tournament, okay, Francis TFO. 
and he plays today. So he still has a round of 16 match to play today. He's a strong player. Also, the Canadian, uh, there are two Canadians that are in it still that are very strong. Uh, Shapovalov is one. Yeah, he's going to face, um, is, he's going to face, uh, uh, Pablo Carreno Busta now because now uh, Pablo advances yes. right with yes. with uh, what happened with Jokovic so that's going to be mm-hmm. the quarter uh, quarterfinal match. Yes, it is. Okay, yes, it is. So and 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 Dennis Shapovalov is he's man he's a he's a great player to watch has a lot of energy and uh, his mom is his coach so that's just a little nice fun side note. Yeah, it it should so be really exciting. It should be really exciting. Um, I, I would think that uh, uh, Zasvarev would be, I guess, the favorite now that Jokovic is not in there. Um, obviously, you can debate that and argue that. I, I'm just guessing uh, based on uh, his uh, prior performances. So you're talking. Uh, did you say Alexander Zverev? Is that who you said? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and he came in as the number five seed. Yep. For the tournament, uh, Medvedev is the number three seed, and Team is the number two. So, I mean, top five seeds, people. These are fantastic, amazing players. That man, this tournament's not over by a long shot. Not over by a long shot. No, not not at all. It'll be interesting to see what's going to happen with Jokovic. It'll be interesting to see if he's going to get uh, in front of some cameras and um, and issue a statement not coming from Instagram or his publicist or whoever's coming out. Right. Um, what's really interesting, uh, a former uh, the former British number one, uh, Tim Henman, uh, he was disqualified yeah. from Wimbledon in 1995 um, for a similar circumstance. He uh, hit a ball girl. Uh, obviously, you know, it was an accident, but, you know, he's hitting mm-hmm. the, that ball, you know, aiming for the back fence. And he said, he said, unfortunately, he's compounding the error. He needs to face up to it, apologize and accept that he made a mistake by an SS running away. It's going to go on longer. So what's interesting about that yeah. is that Henman did the same thing. He evaded the media on his way out. So he knows it, it, there, it. He out of anybody that knows, he knows exactly what's going right. on. Number one player got you know got himself in the same situation, evaded the media, and there were circum. There, you know there were repercussions for that. And he's saying what Jokovic is doing is not the right, right thing to do. So I wonder if Jokovic well, people will say, "Hey, let's get you back in front of somebody. Let's right. hold up." Let's hold a press conference and let's try to fix this now, yeah. not have this linger in. It's already going to linger, but let's try to nip some and, things in the butt and then, you know, take our medicine and get all the questions answered. Right. So two points about what you said. And Goran Ivanisevic is Djokovic's coach right now, Grand Slam champion, and, an, and a real stand-up guy. And so I would hope he has, he has been in, Novak's ear big time and and guiding him that way because sometimes people have people in their camp that are yes men. Yeah. But I can tell you right now that Goran Ivanisevic <clears throat> is 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 a stand up stand up human being. And I'm hoping that, that that that's the direction that they end up going. And when we were talking about Dennis Shapovalov, 
right? Yes. An incident with him when he was 17 years old at the Davis Cup, first round match against Great Britain. He was disqualified for hitting a ball of into the eye of an umpire. Wow. And that, yeah, at 17 years old, and he, the, the umpire had to have surgery. Shapovalov paid for the surgery. First of all, went straight to the press conference and manned up and apologized. He said it was not intentional. He was very sorry. He understands why he got disqualified at 17 years old. Djokovic is 33. Come on, man. Uh, yeah, and, and I'm and, pretty sure that's going to come up. I, I wonder if that's going to be one of the questions leading up to that match with Pablo, um, you know, uh, about those similarities and how to handle your business. Um, hopefully right. the conversation right. with Jokovic is like one and done because it's a shame right. if they have to start answering those type of questions when it has nothing to do with their match. But it's yes. going to happen. And, and, and that's what happens when you leave and everybody else has to clean up your mess. Those are the type of situations that it happens. So that's right. So going back to, and, and I'm going to throw this out there for you, going back to yeah. how, how players feel on the tour toward Djokovic. So yeah. if you're not a big fan of Djokovic and now you're sticking around to clean up his mess, to answer the questions that, uh, that Djokovic should have been answering, so on and so forth, mm-hmm. um, you know, what kind of reflection, how does that look among your peers that now they have to deal with that? Well, it will be interesting because right now, Djokovic has always been a controversial figure on the on the tennis tour. Uh, not always the, the the most liked in the quote unquote locker room, and always controversial. He is, and he's just not that well liked. And so it won't be surprising. I don't think many players currently on the tour will step up at their press conference and make strong, disparaging marks, remarks against Djokovic. They will say that it's not a behavior that should be on the court, but I don't know that they will go directly at him. Yeah, I, I mean, I mean, without continues. without telling the media, right? I guess amongst themselves, the fact that they now oh. have to maybe answer yeah. some of the things because obviously the you know these athletes are well versed and the easy way out is saying right. hey the rules are the rules you know right. you know what what happened was unfortunate but those are the rules we all know them and we have to abide by them that's the that's the easy answer for everybody to right. to say but amongst right. the the guys in the locker room the guys that that play on the tour that travel the world yeah. you know it's just an, another mark you know toward uh Jokovic and i guess you could respect somebody's game but you don't have to respect right. that person, right? So, exactly. And and, and I don't want to pile on to the locker room. Go ahead, go ahead. That's what's in the locker room on him. That is that's the reputation in the locker room, and it's not a surprise that's the reputation in the locker room. He's always kind of been the guy on the outside looking in, trying to prove himself, and 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 he does things on behalf of what he says is the AP, ATP tour, which is the men's tour in professional tennis. But not everybody, not all the players are behind him and they feel that he's becoming a divisive figure on the ATP men's tour. It's really interesting. And I just want to be clear, you know, we're talking about tennis, right? We're not talking about uh, the person, you know, outside of tennis. I I know he does 
he does a lot of he does community work. He's raised money for yes, Serbia and for COVID. And so I, I want to be clear about that. We're talking about the tennis yes. player, not the human being, because Correct. first and foremost, I don't know him enough uh, outside of what you know we know as far as what we read. So I don't ever want to come across like that. But as the tennis player, and just evaluating, um, you know, whether it's on the court or or how players think about him. That's a different conversation. Right. Well, because just this spring, he he created a and organized a tour for to raise money for with exhibition tournament, right? As an exhibition tournament. And and it was before COVID started. However, they went ahead with the tour and players tested positive for COVID, including himself and his wife Yelena. So that became that kind of become a polarizing subject as well. That they did not take the precautions necessary in order to have the tournament be successful, even though the tournament was like all these tournaments organized before COVID. Yeah. So that that happened prior to the U.S. Open occurring. So there's just been there's just been this little cloud of controversy that really has followed Djokovic. And it doesn't mean he's not passionate and doesn't do good things. He, he does. He does. And he's vocal. And okay, that's a, that can be seen as a positive as well. But it's where their target, we're looking at the behavior and the fact that this kind of behavior just cannot continue to be okay on, on the courts. It just can't. Yeah. And it's unfortunate that, you know, if he ever gets in front of a camera and apologizes, which I would assume he is at one at some point, even if it's not now, yeah. if he shows up at Roland Garros, which he should, he's going to eventually right. have to address them. But you know, hey, the reality is, yeah. this will be the the second time in three months that he has to apologize for something because he had to apologize right. for all you know for these people getting sick, even though. The idea was, you know, born with a, you know, philanthropic, uh, you know, idea. You know, they were going to direct Absolutely. the funds toward, toward people and, and everything else. But, you know, obviously people Absolutely. getting sick. So the intentions were right. But it doesn't matter. The, the whole point is, yep. once again, you're in front of everybody saying, oh, oh, oh my bad. Right. My, my bad. Right. So that's uh, right. that that's something that has to change. I, I really I'm, I'm really curious about the point that you brought up a little bit earlier about, you know, are they going to say, hey, uh, we want you at least to go talk to somebody, you know, right. whether it's anger management or however, however we want to categorize this. But, you know, maybe maybe we need to talk to somebody. Well, maybe we all need to sit down and talk a little bit about yeah. what's been happening and um what what we need and if not this is what's going to happen next time next time even if it's right. something that where you might get a warning or something like that we're just going to pull the plug on you like you you know you you don't have any more mulligans right um because now you have a string of this type of behavior yeah. going back for your entire career but you know people getting hurt and, now. you know people getting hurt now yeah, and, and, it, and, and it's not a good look and you took away all of our attention based on this yeah. incident and well, it's about the integrity of the game. It's about the integrity of the game. And there are there's a service clock. When when you go on to serve, as soon as you get the ball, a clock. As soon as the, the last point ends, yeah, there is a 25 second clock that ticks down. And if you get if you go past that amount of time, 
when you are the server, then you get a warning. If it happens again and you get a second warning, a second warning imposes a penalty point, which means it gives a point to your opponent. So, and, and this is to keep the integrity of the game. Again, all of these pieces, all of these rules, written, unwritten, behavior, sportsmanship, tennis etiquette, are all about the integrity of the game. Yeah, and making it, sure that the players are upholding to themselves, their team, the tournament, and everybody watching what it means to be a competitor at this high level or at any level on a tennis court. It has a game with integrity and etiquette. And you can still hit the you can still hit a ball and be an aggressive, fierce competitor on the court without having to have bad sportsmanship. Yeah, and and I know it's uh I know that you know I'm gonna call it the shot clock, right? You know, make a basketball reference here, but sure. but your shot serve clock, clock yes. right? Your serve clock here, and it's a, yes. and it's affected players because uh, something that wasn't in place, right? I know Nadal has struggled right. a little bit with with that. He really kind of takes it up to you know the last second, and probably he a does. few times kind of goes a little bit over uh, over that, and, and we kind of go back to. You know, some of these, uh, you know, these top players getting a little bit more leeway, something that you mentioned uh, early on uh, yeah. in, the, in the podcast. But, you know, it's still they, like you've got to figure it out. You've, you've got to work around it and, and understand. Right. And, you know, Nadal came out and uh, a while ago and, and he was talking about behavior. And he mentioned, he said, listen, I am just as angry and frustrated as anyone else. When I lose, when I right. do something wrong and everything else, he's like, but me slamming my racket or acting out or doing something like that does mm-hmm. me no no good you know it's something i have to learn yeah. from and figure it out and kind of grow and try to get better but displaying that type of behavior is not something that i like to do because of that and i, and I think they were talking about the emotion the frustration because no matter how great of a player you are, whether we're talking about Federer, Nadal, LeBron James, you know, you know uh, whatever the Serena. sport is, Serena, no matter how great you are, you are still, when you look at it, you're going to have some really bad losses. You're going to have yeah. some unfortunate things happen. It just happens to these players and they figure it out. You know, I, you know, everyone deals with things differently, but Nadal's right. statement was saying, Hey, you know, we, we could we have to we have to monitor ourselves is probably the best way to put it. And model the behavior that is acceptable. Right? Yeah. And model that behavior that's acceptable. Yeah. And uh, so in the midst of all of the craziness of Djokovic and being disqualified and rightly so there have been some amazing matches by U.S. women in this U.S. Open. Amazing matches. And uh, Serena Williams just won her 100th victory on Arthur Ashe Stadium today, beating Sakari in three sets. And it's her 17th quarterfinal in the U.S. Open. 17th quarterfinal in the U.S. Open. Sophia Cannon is still in it. She plays later in this round of 16. Jennifer Brady defeated Angelique Kerber, a U.S. Open 
champion and Wimbledon champion, uh, Shelby Rogers, another U.S. player. She is playing, uh, or she defeated last night. She won last night, and then Sophia Cannon plays today. Uh, and nine of the women in the round of 16 are moms, are mothers. They have kids at home. So these are remarkable pieces, I think, to this to the story of this 2020 U.S. Open. It's absolutely amazing. Uh, Rogers will face uh, Naomi Osaka in the quarterfinals. Uh, that would yep. be an exciting um, match. Uh, going back to uh, Serena beating uh, uh, Sakari, um, it, it's it's incredible, right? Uh, 100 wins at, at Arthur Ashe Stadium. Again, I got to remind the fans. We're talking about Arthur Ashe Stadium. That that was in 1997. Right. That's when the stadium was built. Uh, besides 100 right. and, 100 wins, she was 99 and 13. So she's 113 yeah. now at Arthur Ashe Stadium. Yeah. The only player that's next to her with wins is Federer, and he's 77 and 11. <laughs> she is. She, she, she's she first and second is a long records. way. You said it was 17 yeah. quarterfinals at, at U.S. Open. It was her 53rd yes. quarterfinals in her career. I mean, in the grand, yeah. that is bananas. Yeah. That, yeah, in the Grand yeah. Slam. That is absolutely bananas to the point where she's like, when, when they when they do interviews with her, she's like, okay, what did I do today? Right. <laughs> what did I break? What, what record won. did I break today? Well, she won her first U.S. Open before her 19th birthday. She turns 39 in a month. That was back in 1999 against Martina Hingis. Yes. We tie it all together. Absolutely here. groundbreaking amazing. And her sister Venus won a Grand Slam before Serena did. Venus is 40. And played in the U.S. Open this year. Yeah, that's amazing. So it's it's just it's a testament to gra- these two are groundbreaking. They have influenced another generation of tennis, not only in the United States but worldwide. Worldwide, they have influenced another generation of tennis, men and women. Absolutely, men and women. And so it, it girls and boys all over the world because of the impact they've not only had on the court, but off the court. So it's really exciting for the U.S. Open to have all these U.S. players. Uh, Jen Brady, we talked about, we spoke about her. She went to UCLA first. She went to college first and played at the collegiate level and said that it was the best decision she's ever made because it got her into how to live real life not just being on a tour, but all the other pieces. And she had the opportunity to mature. She moved away from home, went to college like a normal 18-year-old. And and she's now 25. And But really felt that it definitely gave her a stronger foundation for being able to compete on the professional tour because of the experience that she had in college. Shelby Rogers attended Emory University. Um, Caroline Dolahide, who is still in the double, also went to UCLA. So it's a real. It shows that you can get to the pros a variety of different ways, 
And just because you're not playing at age 15 and 16, like Coco Goff, or age 17, like her, her doubles partner, Katie McNally, there's still a place for females on the tour. And I think it's exciting because I think college tennis rocks, by the way. <laughs> It's amazing because uh, for your novice fan or, or just your kind of fan that just really kind of tunes into the Grand Slams that doesn't follow tennis that close, you kind of think of tennis as something that you would start early, almost kind of the way you think about European soccer players. So it's interesting right. to hear that you go to high school, you could go to college, you could play this, you could go pro after the fact, you don't have to be some phenom yeah. that's playing at, you know, at, at 13 years old and at, in these, you know, yeah, you're, you're, you're being homeschooled yeah. and you're, you're done right. and this is all you're doing. So it's great right. and important for people to hear that. No, you, yeah. you could do the sports just like if it's basketball, football or something like that. You could go to college, you could perform and then you could get ready to move on to your next level. Exactly. Uh, our coach, uh, our our assistant varsity coach, Jack Griffin, he went to, he played at uh, his high school in San Diego. Then he had a scholarship and went to New Mexico and he was a, a uh, NCAA collegiate player. And then he went on the tour. And to this day values the being a student athlete at a, at a D1 university as the best experience of his life. Well, until he got married and had kids, but again, for, <laughs> don't for get his... him in trouble. <laughs> I won't, I won't, you know how much I love the Griffin family. That is great. So it, it just gives, it just gives a, a whole new shine. And you, and you know how much I love collegiate athletics. You know, we we're it, 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 it's huge. It's huge, huge, huge. And I love to see, that message being put out there also by the professionals that maybe don't get the recognition as they are on these college teams, right? That maybe football gets. So it, it's a good thing. Super proud, very impressed with the game of Jennifer Brady and Shelby Rogers. And Shelby Rogers had to fight and she had to win it in three sets and, and win in a, in a tie break in the third set in her match. So it's very impressive and they're excited to watch. I, I definitely tune in people. Go check them out. Uh, Dory, I got a question for you here, right? And it's, it's a little mind boggling for me because it's, it's hard to wrap my head around that, especially with a sport like tennis. Right. Is it, is it amazing to you that we've seen the Williams in whatever capacity, right? Because Venus came first. Yes to be the face of the sport Mm -hmm. for more than 25 years? Yes. I mean, Venus came up in what? In 94, she was 14 years old. And and really, for all of Serena's greatness, Venus really was the one that kind of had a breakthrough. Right. You, you know, you, you know, she, she, she did, you know, she, she cleared the path. But they, yeah, they 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 came into the tour at the same time. Now the USTA and the and the WTA. The USTA is the governing body of all professional tennis, and then there's the the ATP, which is the men's tour, and the WTA, which is the women's tour. 
just for a little bit of yeah. breakdown in history when we're talking about these governing bodies. So the USTA is the governing body, and they do have rules in place on how many tournaments young teenagers can can enter so that they don't get, quote-unquote, burnt out, right? Yeah. And we all know the Williams sisters were coached by their dad. Um, he was their manager for a good portion of the time yep. and and really honed their game and was very strategic in which tournaments they would enter within those guidelines of the USTA. And, and so I'm extremely impressed with the longevity but it's because of how they were raised at home and their value system that has kept them on the tour, as well as how much they love tennis. Yes, their dad was their coach, and yep. yes, they played it, but they also went to school. They also had a life in their, in, in, in their own, within their family and their friends. So it wasn't just tennis. And it's because they are so well-rounded and grounded as human beings that they have stayed on the tour so long and continue to be the face of women's tennis and tennis and professional tennis in general. That's a tribute to who they are as people. You know, and they have such a great support system. Obviously, you're talking about when Richard first started out with them and he was the coach. That's their dad. But, you know, anytime yeah. that you watch a match, uh, mom or sister or something, there's always some family. There's always somebody there. It's not just the coach or their buddies. Right. And obviously, their friends come out right. and support, which is great. But the family, the, 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 the meat and potatoes, the root of everything, you know, uh, there's yeah. always someone there with them and uh, it just shows that support system uh yeah. from day one uh till now especially yep. we see so many phenoms that start off young and get um sidetracked you know sidetracked right. whether it's life right. partying drugs uh anything you know we, we we've seen right. great players kind of come and go uh modeling right. right we go back you know uh whatever it is and they don't maintain that dominance and for them to be so dominant obviously venus venus yeah. is toward the end of her career she's still on tour but not the same player but to see serena right. you know one of the top players on the tour to take the time off to go through injuries to to have a child and and have a life yeah. and a family and still be there competing uh is absolutely yeah. amazing I, I watched it today with my yeah. wife we were watching serena and we're just looking at her and uh, we're just, just absolutely amazing. I, I can't think about running around and back and forth and how my legs and knees and, and body would feel. I even mentioned, I said, what do you think she has to do uh, when she's done to get ready to play in two days? You know, the icing, the nutrition, the food, the massage, just to get that body, yeah. the taping, the getting the, just to get the yeah. body ready, let alone the, men, the, the, the mental capacity to just be ready to perform at the right. highest level. It's it's is yeah. mind boggling. Well, and and having a family, whether it's her extended family or her family that she has, and the family she has with her husband and her daughter Olympia, who just turned three. Yeah. It 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 is. 
she's finding that preparing mentally, I'm not saying it's easier, but she just, she, she compartmentalizes her time better. It's a time management piece is what she said, because she wants her daughter to be proud of her. And at the same time, not lose those moments with her daughter. And so it's just changing how she structures her day. Today, she'll, she'll go, she'll do the ice, she'll do a cool down, she'll do the ice, she'll have a meal with family. And then tomorrow, she'll be out on the court for uh, a light warm-up and a light practice. Uh, last year, I saw her practice at the U.S. Open, and well, it made my U.S. Open trip for real, for real. And watching what they go through, the stretching regime, hugely impactful. She does some stretches that if you can get your body to do that at any age, that's impressive. And then has a strong support with her coach. Um, Patrick is amazing. And just she she's just in a really good place in her life so that she can continue to to strive and and accomplish the goals that she has for her tennis life as well. And Azarenka is another one that that is out there doing the same thing after having a child. Her son, I think, is three or four. And so it's really impressive. It's really impressive. And you're right. Giving your mind, body ready for matches at this level and this amount of intensity and how long you need to prepare to be on the court is extremely impressive and continues to set take that bar to another level. Every time she goes on the court, she raises the bar of what's possible. Yeah, I was tired just watching her. I was sitting on my couch eating uh, oatmeal with some blueberries. <laughs> I had a little hemp seeds with some uh, some pumpkin spice, and uh, I, I was just worn out uh, watching her uh, back and forth. And then just thinking about trying to return one of those serves, I said, well, my shoulder yeah. would probably be thrown out just trying to swing at it. Uh, even if yes. I could catch up to it, but that's a whole other issue. So um, right. Serena just wore me out this morning. I'm I'm trying to recover. I'm probably going to take a nap after this, uh, just because <laughs> it's just uh, it's just too much for me at this point. Uh, it's it's a great sport. It's awesome. Yeah. What's it, up? Uh, two things before we uh, wrap it up. All right. So sure. I want to talk about um, the well. The first thing is coaching, right? It's really interesting yeah. that you can't talk to your coach. I want I want to know what your thoughts on it because my thought is as not as a uh, tennis savant here. You know, I, I, obviously I enjoy all the sports and follow a lot of the sports, but I'm just right. it, to me it doesn't make sense that you can't have whether it's after the first game or or you know after the first set or second set or somewhere along the lines that you say, okay, you've got three minutes to huddle as you're getting your water break or whatever case may be, a huddle with a coach, uh, whatever, even if it was two minutes to kind of go over some stuff that normally, you know, if you're, you know, we're football fans, we go into halftime, you know, we, we come up with a new plan, we figure things out, you know, basketball coach call timeout or a half, you know, whatever it is, you have time to right. say, hey, this is what I'm seeing. I know you see something, but this is really, this is the other areas, you know, and I follow mixed martial arts and UFC, you know, the coaches are yelling, hey, watch out for the hook, watch out for the knee coming up the middle, whatever the case is. Tennis, you don't have that luxury. 
What are your thoughts on no. coaching, not coaching? And if you do think that there should be some coaching, how would you envision that if you could change the rules? Yeah. Well, the part about coaching, uh, it's so different at every level. And sometimes it's different at the, on the professional level based on what the competition is or what the tournament is. For example, Davis Cup, you can coach. You can be coached. Um, the players on your team for Davis Cup can, and, and Davis Cup would be like um, a, a country versus another country, like yes. the United States versus Britain. Okay, that's Davis yeah, Cup. What, what, like what happens with soccer, right? You, you the have, USA and Europe. You, exactly. You have. I mean, coach, uh, golf. Does you soccer? Players. <laughs> golf. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, you make golf. I know you make golf. You, you have a coach. You have players that are on your team, and at changeover. You can, which are the odd numbered, odd numbered uh, uh, games. You can be coached. You can be coached as you're playing. Now, not in the middle of someone serving, but but they can say, "Hey, man, maybe stay back a little bit." The world team tennis. There's coaching. There are different rules that are applied. It's extremely exciting to watch. So you get that opportunity. High school, it depends. Are we playing another team or are we playing in a tournament as to when a coach can coach? So what are your thoughts I on the prefer, U.S. Open? You on know, the U.S. Open. Yeah. Can, can you be like the Oregon Ducks on. and just hold up signs with different pictures? There's coaching already going on. There are little signals that a coach can send, like nonverbal. Well, we've if, seen players get in trouble for that. Well, if it is, if it's caught and recognizable, right? But if a coach stands up and gives like two claps, that could be a signal to keep, keep playing that forehand or keep, keep, keep them on the baseline or keep moving them around on the other side. So that can be a very subliminal piece of coaching. I think that, that at the changeover, at, at the set, after a set, that you should be able to to go talk to your coach. And there are some tournaments that allow it at the professional level. I think that would be good. If you call your coach down to come and talk to you at at the end of the set. I, I, I agree. Even if you got to put your coach in good. a booth and he gets on headset, you know, maybe he doesn't yeah, come down. Because, they put on a headset at the end we'll, of the set or yeah. something. Because I think that would help with this, with this built-up emotional piece that happens with tennis with any athlete. Tennis players have no outlet. Okay, they have no outlet, and 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 so it requires them to be even stronger mentally than other sports. So I think it would I think it would really help. And again, only if the player asks for the coach to come down. Like if they have an injury. You can ask for a trainer to come to you at, yep. at changeover. Yeah. I mean, at, at or set. So if you can ask a trainer to come and fix something physical, why can't we have a coach come and fix something on the mental side or technique side or game plan side? Every player has a game plan going in on what they want to do to beat their opponent. And that's put together generally by the player and the coach. But that obviously so could change, I, especially, I you know, let, let's say there's an injury. 
right? Let's say you're like, hey, coach, man, yeah. my ha- I can't, I yeah. can't. Remember, we talked about we were going to do this. My hamstring's not allowing me to do that. Uh, I'm thinking about doing yeah. this, and maybe coach is like, listen, that's right. a great idea, but instead of that, do this. Maybe you get challenges, almost kind of like a like a football challenge or a replay challenge, where you have a coach, uh, not a coach challenge, but to use your coach. Like, okay, I want to use my coach. You know, it's like, who wants to be a millionaire? I'm going to use my phone call now. Um, <laughs> you know, friend. yeah, like, yeah, phone <laughs> a friend. Like, you get two, you get two a match, you know, and, you know, they say, hey, right. you got, to, so m- maybe they do something like that, you know, not every set or something, but say, okay, I'm going to use well, that and you can only use it after a set. It, yeah, I, I think it's good that you only use it after a set because there's there's something that happens with momentum. Right. Yeah, it has to be and after a set because yeah, they have I agree. To keep their bodies warm because if it's for too long a time, if if there's if it's too long, right? And so a changeover generally between sets that's a commercial break. All right, maybe yeah. it's a two minute commercial break, uh, and so they could come down and have that conversation. Uh, what they would need to do, as you said, is it do some sort of a headset situation because. Because it takes too much time to get a coach down to the court because of where they're situated in the stands. It would take too much time to get the court the, the coach down there. But I think it should be allowed. I, I really do. I um, and have it be player option. Yeah, the the official you know official comes over with a official headset, brings it over doing that set. They have to they have to make a make it known before the set's over or something like that. Come over, gives them the headset. Well, you know, they they yeah. have two challenges or two coaches, coach uses, whatever you want to call this. Um, well, throughout. If it's between and, sets, yeah, if it's between sets, you could have up to two, but you might only get one. You might only get one. When we were at the state tournament, when when I was there with Mia, and I know we're talking professional, but at the high school level, at the state tournament, at the district tournament, and the state tournament, you can only talk to your coach. You can only talk to your player uh, after a, after the first set, so at set changes, which is what we're talking about for to make the rule change for pros. But during the season, during the season, we can talk to the players after at every changeover after the first game is played. So we can't do it on the first changeover, but we can do it when the say it's like two one. Right, and yep. it adds up to an odd number. Yep, yep. Then we can talk to our player. Yeah, I, so I, I would like to see it, that. It, it, yeah, it varies, but I think that would be. I think it would be great for players and coaches. And networks could sponsor it because they always try to look to, to make more training. money, right? You know, this call is brought right. to you by Verizon. Right. You know, like or you know, you they, there's always it, money, like they do for golf. Yeah, or you play through it. Like golf has a lot of playthrough where they put the commercial on half screen yep. and they continue to to uh, watch the live golf action. We can do. We should be do that for tennis. Yep. You could do that for tennis because I think it's interesting to see it. So anyway, all right. Last last question for you here. Uh, bubble tennis. Uh, what are you liking about it? Yeah. And what, what what just your thoughts on bubble tennis so far? So silver linings with this. Uh, the, the players are saying they miss the fans. I miss the fans being in the stadium uh, big time. I, I think that energy piece, right? Especially but, in New York, too. It, oh, especially in New York. Oh, my gosh. The, the night matches. Well, say, for example, you're at a match. 
and and it wasn't really a, a a high publicized match, but it gets really good, and you're on the you're on the uh, you're out at the U.S. Open. Man, that those stadiums really start to fill up, and and it can sway a match quickly. The excitement, the energy, the buzz is amazing. What we are getting to experience with tennis in the bubble as a fan watching, you get to see and hear more of what's actually happening on the court. So that's been fun. Yeah, I would the like players, to hear more. Maybe players, they could put on HBO yeah. or something like that or just warn everybody about language. Or, or mic But, but I, yeah, I would yeah. love to hear mic more. Up. They have the microphones there. Um, so far, yeah. the, the video hasn't been released about Jokovic. Um, I'm pretty sure every microphone on the court picked up that entire conversation. And right. uh, we're not privy to it right now, but that's something that I would love to... I would love to hear that argument, that conversation. Right. Be like, hey, dude... You can't do that. Like, oh, it was an accident. Don't, don't, you know, yeah. default me here. Like, yeah. no, got to do it. Go and tennis in a bubble, and all those are great ideas, right? I don't know if they'll ever release that that transcript or dialogue that went down um, uh, verbatim, right? We may never see that. However, tennis in a bubble has also afforded the players to go and watch other players. They all have suites in the Arthur. If you are a seated player, you were given a suite in Arthur Ashe Stadium that would be where you and your family could be um, as long as you got through all the other COVID pieces. And then you have you you can go out and watch matches that otherwise you would not be able to see in person. And we saw Osaka, yep. Azarenka and other players go out and watch Serena's match. Yep. Normally players don't get to watch other players play. Whether you're still in the tournament or you are no longer in the tournament because they're either off to the next tournament or they are they can't get into those they can't get into the stadiums and they can't get into the suite because the suites are taken up by the corporate people, right? So I think it's great. I think that's a plus, a silver lining, and the players are really enjoying it. They they hang out. They're hanging out on the ground. Yeah, yeah. Um, they have all kinds of games and and pieces for them, and so oh, they, it's been they're a like kids, but silver <laughs> lining sports. experience. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. No, it, so it, it's been uh, pretty good. I, positive, negative, silver lining. It is what it is. And I think the, this U.S. Open has been as exciting as any and will continue to be. And I'm hoping that this lends itself to a lot. The TV viewership numbers have to be astronomical right now. <laughs> Dory, thanks for taking some time. Yes. Our favorite tennis coach. Hey, Will. Yeah. Thanks, for, th- th- thanks man. This, I, I love the show. Love the show. Uh, we love your insight. That we really appreciate all your knowledge. And uh, I'll try to, uh, I'm going to have to listen to the show again to uh, get uh, more edu- educated on everything that you told us. So I appreciate your time. Okay. You have a wonderful uh, Labor Day. Uh, it's supposed to be absolutely beautiful out there. So uh, try, to get, uh, try to get out there and have a little bit of fun. Will do. Thanks a lot, Will. All right. You take care of yourself. YouTube. Bye. That's Dory Bennett, uh, school teacher, uh, high school tennis coach, uh, 
tennis savant. I mean, coaching in her blood from um, coming from a football family, um, you name it, football, tennis, basketball, everything. Um, she knows it. She's experienced it. And uh, we really appreciate her time today. Uh, thanks for listening to NYC. Uh, we've got a lot more tennis and basketball. Football season is about to start. We'll figure out what we're going to do with that. And um, we'll get ready for our next show. All right. Thanks for hanging with us. We're out. We're out.